people have opinions without being fully informed. Trust me, I'm a Canadian here. I don't care if you're a Christian, Messianic, or Hebrew roots. I want to know if your theology is biblical. Maybe I'm right. Of course I'm right. If you're going to cite a source, be responsible. You know, cite your source. Your longest college. Hey, we're just having a conversation. There's only 36 people listening anyway, right? You can Google it. Wow, at what point does history matter? At what point does truth matter? An alien invasion. Is it biblical? Of course it is. Look, there's a way to do scholarship and a way not to do scholarship. you got to cite your source. Who's your source? My best friend, sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows his kid is going with the girlfriend. And that about sums it up. What up? And shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show, the show where theology matters, scholarship counts, and theology matters. My name is Caleb Haig. With me, of course, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? Hey, Caleb. Yeah, we're doing some last... I mean, you can tell we, we, we jumped online uh, a minute late, which, uh, you know, no big deal, whatever, but minute late and uh we're behind because we're actually still we're still grabbing topics for the show um which is which is fine that's that's good okay um well what up and shalom to everybody out there in uh i guess uh digital land um well let's get let's get our uh let's get our our sponsors out of the way the robin caleb show is brought to you by torresource.com um, I even have a little thing for it. Here you go. Torresource.com. Go to Torresource and find all sorts of great things. Uh, you know, I, I was perusing the articles that we have on Torresource uh, this morning. And I got to say, I over 100 theological articles, and they're all free. And boy, there are some really good ones. Uh, most of them written by my father, Tim Haig. Uh, I would encourage anyone to go. And by the way, we uh, we did something special this last week. We put on... Uh, share buttons on all of the articles. So you can go in now, choose your favorite uh, social media, and share it directly there. Uh, and I would encourage you to share those articles with uh, with your friends and family. I think that they're good enough to do so. Uh, the Robin Caleb Show is also brought to you by Chava Messianic Radio. Chava Messianic Radio, you can listen to uh, uh, Messianic and Hebrew Roots Movement on demand. It's quite the uh, the website. Our good friend Judah has really uh, put some significant work into making that uh, that radio station a a on a good on demand uh, resource for. Uh, and his tagline is great too: "Music for Yeshua's disciples," um, and that's exactly what it is. So you can go if you have a favorite artist or whatnot. I can almost guarantee you it's probably if it's in the Messianic realm, it's going to be on on uh, Chava Messianic Radio, and you can uh, you can listen to it on demand, which is always very nice. And then finally, last but not least, uh, the Robin Caleb Show is also brought to you by Yeshua Shirts. YeshuaShirts.com. Uh, are you lacking a piece of clothing that says Yeshua on it? If you are, <laughs> then you should definitely go to Yeshua Shirts. And the fine people at Yeshua Shirts have actually given us a, a coupon code for uh, those who listen to the Robin Caleb show. Put into the coupon box TR Radio, and you will get, uh, I believe it's 10% off. And that uh, probably cover your shipping if you're in the United States, something like that. Or most of your shipping, at least. Uh, so, Yeshua shirts. Start a conversation today. All right. And uh, I should also say, 
you know, I was looking today also on uh, on our Robin Caleb show page, which is on Torah Resource. So you go to TorahResource.com, hover over the radio page or the radio tab, and then go down to the Robin Caleb show. That's our page. And on that page, you can listen to all of our archive shows all the way from starting at number one through the current show. And uh, the other thing you can do is sign up for our show notes. And I would very much encourage you to sign up for our show notes right now, believe it or not, Rob, and we joke on this show a lot. If you, if you're first time you're joining us, we joke on this show a lot that uh, nobody really wants to listen to us. And therefore we only have 36 listeners. Every time we get a new listener, uh, that means that we lost a listener too, because our number always stays at 36. Now, That's right. with that being said, uh, we have 176 people who receive our show notes now. Cool. That's a, that blows my mind. Uh, anyway, I, I've started putting more than just uh, links in our show notes. I've uh, put some other things in there as well. I'm trying to make it a little bit more interesting. Uh, oops, so there's uh, more news each week. Uh, so definitely do that. You know, and finally, a request uh, to our, our uh, solid 36 listeners. If you have a chance sometime, go find us on iTunes, The Rob and Caleb Show on iTunes. Write a review. Uh, we have two reviews right now. One of them is, uh, I know who it one's is. good and one's bad. No. Well, they're, uh, they're both good in my opinion. One, I think my wife wrote, uh, I, I think. <laughs> and the other one says, the Beavis and Butthead of podcasting, which I think is a shining review. Uh, f- interestingly can just, enough. Can you play the first? A couple seconds of the half goes off. You know, I can't because my oh. I, my uh, my my uh, soundboard system needs to be updated and it will not work on my current system. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, but uh, actually, one of my good friends said that he started listening to the Robin Caleb show because of that comment. So, uh, hey. you know, it's good press. Any press is good press, right? Okay. Uh, what up and shalom to everybody in the chat room. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, we got a little bit of a light crowd today, but that's okay. We're happy that every single one of you are there with us. And uh, people, you might not know this, but people contribute to this show in many, many, many different ways. One of those ways is definitely in the chat room. Uh, these these fine folks in the chat room, a lot of the time know a lot more than I do. They uh, they tend to look things up and, and set us straight on things live during the show, which is great. So thank you for that. Uh, you can be a part of this show too. Uh, oops, wrong one. You can go to our comment line called 253-465-3205. I'll give it to you again. It's 253-465-3205. You will not talk to us. You will get an answering machine. Leave us messages. Tell us how much you like us or hate us or whatever. Uh, and then also send us email, chagatorresource.com. Wow, that was long. Our, uh, and if you really want to talk to one of us, you can. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah. shoot us an email, email and tell and say, us. Hey, can we set up a time to talk or something? You know, I gotta say, our our intro now is becoming longer and longer. Maybe we should sprinkle it throughout the show instead of giving all of our sponsors all at once. We'll we'll sprinkle them through the show. I don't know. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Whatever. All right. Um, well, what a show we have today for you. I I can always tell it's going to be a good show when I'm nervous because I feel like we don't have enough to talk about. That's usually the shows where we talk the most. And where we uh, get into some really deep conversations. I, I I asked this beforehand, before we came on air. I'll ask it on air so that other people can be made aware of it as well. Rob got his uh, master's at the UW, that is the University of Washington, Huskies. Um, and are you a huge Huskies fan? Actually, I was so 
I was in survival mode for so many years. I don't even I didn't even pay attention to football. So yeah, okay, fair enough. It's funny. All my siblings went to WSU, which is the rival state university here in in Washington. They went to Wazoo. They're Cougars. Yeah. Ooh. I'm like the I'm like the odd one out. And that's not the only way in, in life that I'm the odd one out, but it's one of the many. I can start making jokes about Wazoo, but I won't. Okay, anyway, so you got your master's in what, Near Eastern language now? Near Eastern? My Well, technically, my bachelor's is, is it was with the NELC, Near Eastern Language and Civilization. They call it NELC, N-E-L-C. But my master's was under the comparative religion department. Uh, and my focus was on uh, rabbinic interpretation of, of Scripture, Jewish and Christian interpretation of Scripture. Um, tell, uh, tell me what you wrote your master's thesis on. Oh, my— Because I, th- I don't think we've ever talked about this on air. So, uh, and oh, I didn't okay. know this well, before we came I on I have the, the, the boiled-down version is available. I think, it's, I think you can read it. It's available on our— Website, I believe. If not, we'll get it up there. It is, uh, and I presented at uh, UCLA. I know for uh, for some of our friends, um, Vince in Southern California, that's a that's a bad word. Those that's a four lettered word. You don't want to say UCLA. But anyway, I, I presented there back in what ninety or no two thousand five two thousand five. Mm. I presented the core of my of my uh, research, and it is on. The use of the of uh, Ecclesiastes eleven verse two, which it says, "Give a portion to seven and unto eight. Maybe you maybe you've heard that one, or cast your bread on the waters. That one, uh, tracing that uh, because it's such a it's it's a verse that really pops out, and it doesn't get a lot of traction in rabbinic literature. Right? There's not much the rabbis can do with it. But what? <laughs> but they end up doing. They ended up. Uh, locking it into um, the Feast of Tabernacles because this idea of seven and then eight, the eighth day, right, parallels uh, other places where there's an eighth, a seven and then there's an eighth, such as circumcision on the eighth day and uh, seven days of Sukkot and then Shemini Atzeret being the eighth day. And that association with that verse from Ecclesiastes with um, the Feast of Tabernacles by the Middle Middle Ages becomes the like the justification for why we are to read. So there's a liturgical implication that now we read the book of Ecclesiastes during Kohelet. And uh, there's all this about Solomon who spoke it as a prophecy and all this stuff. And anyway, so there's, if you'd like to read that, uh, we'll make sure to get it up if it's not already up on our website and you can download and read the, the presentation. Um, and it gets into, uh, it, it touches on the Ushbizin. If anybody knows the Ushbizin are the, um, in, in the Zohar. So in medieval Jewish mystic, mystical tradition, these are the, the seven uh, celestial guests. One of is Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, uh, Enoch, Aaron, King David. Well, not Enoch in in, the, in this particular. Oh, I'm version, sorry. You're saying Ushbazin. I'm sorry. My mind was Ushbazin. on uh, my mind was on the uh, Mirkava. I'm sorry. Keep going. Oh yeah. See, Caleb's a, he's a Jewish mystic in a different realm right now. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. Anyway, so so that's what's going on. Is that how how they interpret then 
this with bringing cast your bread on the waters is interpreted as opening your sukkah to the poor, who the rabbis later interpret as the torp, as the poor Torah scholars. But in so doing, you're bringing each day you're you're inviting a different guest from mm. heaven. Um, and then there's a specific blessing that that then becomes innovated, a liturgical blessing that is in the Aramaic language that is uh, inviting the celestial, uh, you know, visitor, uh, the Elionim, they call them, the, the people on high. And so it's a, it, it, uh, it is a fascinating study. I didn't study it because this is theology, right? This is not like a study of, oh, this must be like real Jewish theology. No, it's not that. It's very much in a world of myth, myth a world of, which is the world of the Zohar, um, um, uh, kind of trying to understand, and so at UCLA gave that uh, gave me an opportunity to share that. And um, anybody interested, if you can't find it online, send me a note and I'll get it to you. Okay, uh, we're going to move on. Thank you for that, by the way. I, that was all news to me. I now I have to go read it. Um, so, oh. I, nice cup, by the way. And uh, can I just tell you and tell our audience, there are new uh, tour, uh, Robin Caleb Show shirts up online, and there are new cups up online, too. You can get a Robin Caleb Show cup, oh, which yeah. I suppose we're going to have to go ahead and buy uh, You're for ourselves. You're going to have to send one to me. I'm yes, to exactly. One, uh, and we made uh, one of our, our shirts is uh, Tipping Sacred Cows Weekly with an Upside Down Golden Calf. Uh, which is very nice. And then uh, the Robin Caleb Show tagline, Theology Matters, Scholarship Counts, Theology Matters. Uh, and then just the Robin Caleb Show logo as well. And so show your support. Didn't we have someone say, hey, don't you guys realize you have Theology uh, yeah. Matters twice on there? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, you haven't listened very long, have no. you? Um, okay, so uh, part of this uh, show, which we... Uh, pronounce every beginning of the show is that there's a hotline last night uh last week we uh we played a hotline question that came in a hotline comment line comment line uh somebody uh, had called in and we used that clip on the show and uh this this week we got another one um and so uh two weeks in a row we get to feature people from our comment line so let's listen this is i once again i chopped this down i i took some uh some of the spaces out and at the beginning and the ending took the person's name out this is from our friend andrew thank you andrew for sending in your comment on our comment line. Let's take a listen. My question is, um, does the symbol called the Messianic Seal of Jerusalem go back to ancient times? Or is it something invented by someone recently? I... Oh, yeah, okay. So th this is... Uh... What you're... I should have grabbed a, a picture of this symbol. Uh, here, maybe I can hold it up. Um there it is. There's the symbol right there that they're talking about. As you can see on my side of the screen, there is at the top, there is a menorah. Sorry, it's out of focus now. Then a star of David. And then below that is a fish. And this is a very common and symbol. And then the eyeball of the fish. And then the eyeball of the fish. Uh, well, is, on this is one a is cross, a cross, yes. Um, now, th this is a very uh, popular symbol within uh, within messianic and hebrew roots movement okay and uh it came on the scene uh sometime in the in the 90s 
Um, this book, which I have, uh, this is by the guys who uh, claim to have found the seal. It's called the Messianic Seal of Jerusalem. And uh, it, so this book, I'll, uh, it's in the show notes for anybody who wants to know. I've, I've referenced it in the, uh, in the show notes. This is by Reuven Ephraim Schmaltz and Raymond Robert Fisher. Um, okay, so, uh, sorry, I'm reading, uh, I'm reading Philip. Philip is, uh, is a, a sharp wit mind in the chat room. Uh, so apparently we have not responded to his emails. I apologize, uh, Philip. Um, yeah, let me, uh, here, I'll, I'll give you another email address. It might've gotten lost in the shuffle anyway. Okay. So back to the, um, Hopefully this will not get stuck in my spam folder. Okay, back to the Jerusalem seal. Okay, so let's give you the quick rundown of this story. Now, this book was written by the, the guys who claim to have found this seal. They have pictures in here and everything, okay? And they claim to have found about 10, uh, 12 artifacts. And um, the artifacts that they found all have this symbol on them. We'll talk about that in a few seconds. Basically, here's the, the overarching story. Now, the, the guy who wrote this, uh, or the people who wrote this, uh, it, maybe it's a stylistic thing, but when I'm reading about archaeological things, I don't need to know about, you know, the man loomed in the corner with his bright blue eyes and his boots shining in the moonlight. You know, like, just tell me what's going on. So, stylistically, it's You're not, not looking for entertainment. Uh, no, yeah, it, it, it's, it, it's like not. they're trying to paint the picture of every little thing that was around them. And personally, for when we're talking about uh, archaeology and we're talking about finds, uh, it, it just seems like you're, it seems like fluff that you're, you know, it, it trying maybe, to sell something. Well, and it doesn't, it seems like it doesn't sustain itself. Like the information is not interesting enough, which it should be. Okay. Uh, with that being said, that's just stylistic, personal, personal, uh, my personal preference. Here's, here's the, uh, the gist of what they say happened. Uh, they get uh, in 1990, they get brought into this guy's, um, this guy's, uh, study. Uh, he has, Jerusalem, right? yeah, in Jerusalem, he has these artifacts. He claims that, that, uh, there was this Greek Orthodox monk back in the sixties. He excavated the church that James supposedly found founded, uh, which is very close to the, uh, the site that's, uh, traditionally known as the upper room. Okay. And, uh, so this monk says that he, uh, on his own went and excavated parts of this of this grotto and found all these different artifacts that had the symbol on it. Um, he then gives them to this gentleman uh, who runs a news organization. And by the way, I put all uh, I put a link in your show notes uh, <laughs> that that has this story kind of uh, drawn out. Who has the copyrights of all this stuff? This gentleman that they're meeting with in this library now has the copyrights to this to this symbol. So he gives them these artifacts. They then go to a museum curator and say, hey, look, we have these artifacts. The museum curator says, oh, this is very interesting. Uh, we actually have other artifacts that have this symbol, uh, according to what, the, uh, what they write in this book. The book, by the way, is, is called The Messianic Seal of the Jerusalem Church. Um, and then 
the claim by these gentlemen is that then uh, Jewish groups within Israel then suppressed all of this. The the Jewish antiquity would not release any of this, uh, and that basically they wouldn't do this because it proves that the early church was Jewish, and uh, the 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 Israeli antiquity doesn't want that to get out. Okay. There's many different directions that we could go on this. So the question is, is this real or not? I'm not an archaeologist. I can't tell you whether or not this symbol was found, has been found uh, authentically or not. The point is, though, is that there has been nothing released saying that this... Okay, let me let me read you just, uh, you know... Uh, Let's see here. I'm sorry. Let me find this in the preface. All of the pieces were unquestionably authentic to even an amateur eye. To Reuven, a self-trained historian and archaeologist, self-trained, uh, sculptor, and a longtime student of the early church and first century history in general, these pieces were clearly genuine. Okay. So they think that they're genuine. They think they're clearly genuine. And then um, to to solidify this in the in the minds of the readers, uh, these three gentlemen who are having this meeting then write a their own letter of authenticity, certificate of authenticity. This is to certify that on February eleventh, nineteen ninety nine, yada yada yada. Okay, so all three of these guys sign this to say that it's authentic. These guys are not archaeologists. They've uh, they've never been trained in archaeology. I don't think that they've ever been trained in dating, um, you know, uh, uh, ancient pieces of work. Personally, once again, not an archaeologist. I'm not trained in any of this stuff. I think that I have found uh, what look like discrepancies in the pictures that they've shown. So, for instance, I'll give you a for instance, okay? Uh, one of these pots, the top of the pot, has these circles drawn in it, right, of where the, you know, where the, uh, the markings would go. The marking of the uh, all the markings are on the same line. They end on the same line. The now I don't know if this is significant or not. I'm just telling you what I'm seeing here. The uh, Jerusalem seal, however, is up. It goes extends above that line up to the two lines above it. So it's the only one that's above that. To me, that is very fishy. It doesn't look right. Another one, uh, all of it has a lot of red uh, like paint or or markings on it. Um, the Jerusalem seal is clearly much, much more bright, which to me instantly would tell me that it was put on after the original paint. Um, they're just little things like this. Um, but, and I'm, I've been talking a lot here, Rob, so jump in at any time. The last thing that I'm going to say about this is you can't just go excavate on your own in Jerusalem. For a monk to go into a grotto and excavate and find all this stuff, uh, you're not allowed to do that. So if a museum received these things from an individual like that, the first thing that they'd have to do is turn them over to the Israeli antiquity. You, and they would take them from there. They have no obligation then to uh, keep the person who found them informed on what's going on with them. And if they found them to be fakes, I mean, what are they going to do? They're not going to release any findings. Uh to me, I think that uh, this seems like a very fantastic story, but until there's any kind of substantial evidence from any kind of an archaeologist who says that the that these findings were were real, 
or date back to the first century, I don't think that we can say that they're any earlier than the, the at least probably I would say the seventies or eighties. What are your thoughts, Rob? I was just looking up the three witnesses for the book of Mormon. Cause you have the similar thing. You have this new find, right? The guy says, Hey, I found this and this is a translation. Then you have these witnesses that say, we, through the grace of God, the father and our Lord Jesus Christ have seen the plates, which contain this record, which is the record of the people of Nephi, et cetera, et cetera. Wait, what are you reading from? This is <laughs> the book of Mormon. Yeah. They have these guys who like say that we bear witness that we saw the original. Oh, they're, uh, look here, I'll, I'll, I'll hold that, some of these That's up. what it, it reminds me of. It yeah. reminds me of that sort of thing. Okay. So for those who can see this, I'm sorry if you're listening, here are some of the, now, um, let me show you kind of what I was talking about. This one right here looks very, like it was etched in much later. It doesn't look like that was original to me. This one right here, as you can see, I'll hold it up closer. Right there is where the symbol is, but it goes higher than any of the other symbols. And, and the way to think of it is this. It's like the history of branding, right? This is a pretty sophisticated brand. It's not a yeah. seal. A seal is, is what they used to, like when they would melt wax and then press. It was a reversed image. Yeah. Like that, they find those boule, right? The seals. And they're backwards, right? The, the text is backwards so that when it imprints, it's correct. It's like right, have yeah. Those, yeah, from the city of David. They're excavating more and more of those from the from the first temple period in, in Judah. Um, so what you have here is it's not really a seal. It's a brand, right? It's like a logo. Yeah. And there, I, I think there's a couple problems with it. I agree with you they look late, but it's highly idealized. And all our early iconography is not – it's not – uh, that clean and does there's not an element of design <laughs> like you see here. Ah! Not only that, not only that. <laughs> they didn't have graphic arts <laughs> degrees yeah, back know, then. <laughs> and not only that, the menor the menorahs, the Jew all Jewish menorahs. I, I'm pretty sure because I learned this from Yoel Berkowitz. He pointed this out in Israel. The the Jewish um, uh, portrayals of the menorah have have a tripod base. Not a triangle, but three individual lines, and this is true up in in the north uh, synagogues, and in the in the south in inscriptions. Not a not a triangle, but three, like a tripod. You think about a camera tripod, but but small. That's what it has here. This was what hit the the Temple Institute problem because they they spent millions of dollars building a menorah off the Arch of Titus rendering and they're like uh don't you know that all the jewish ones actually have the different base right <laughs> so oh. so um so that's one aspect the other is the star of david the star of david certainly is an ancient jewish symbol we have that in in synagogues we have in the the at least from the byzantine era um i don't know of specific star of david's from the second temple period i wouldn't be surprised but it wasn't exclusive there were other Ge geometric shapes used and you know I took pictures of these when we were at the uh, synagogue at Capernaum and other places where they have a there's something that looks like a, a star of David but then they have one that's a five-pointed star and then they have one it's like that there's just different geometric designs that are being used it's not that one is superior to the other another point is the fish the fish it is true that the fish was used fish symbol to used 
to in at probably around maybe is the second century moving on um so the time you know if if this if this is not a recent invention if these guys did not invention invent it it is not that old so to answer the the question from from the listener is to say it doesn't go back to james it doesn't go back that far now this isn't if it's a, old at all it's it's this isn't uh, to say that it's not a a, a, a good symbol it's not like it's a bad sign yeah i mean bad, I, uh, I certainly i would have no problem you know drinking out of a cup that had that symbol on it or you know i have no problem when people have it on you know as a necklace or whatever yeah, it's fine. Uh, you know, people use different iconography that comes that has come throughout the ages, right? And some of it's newer and some of it's older. That, that that's not the issue. The the real question is, did it go back to the first century? I I, I really don't think so. Um, once again, I'm not an archaeologist. This is certainly not my my field of study. Um, however, one of the fields of study that I'm getting into is uh, the the separation of, of the, the parting of the ways, which is obviously the parting of, of Judaism versus Christianity. And the idea that the fish was an early uh, Christian symbol is actually something that I would really be interested to study and to see really when we when we get these uh, get this symbol showing up. I haven't done that study yet and uh, but once again, uh, in the ch chat room, uh, we have some people who are very much into um, into archaeology. Philip being one who usually is a great wealth of information on these kind of things. Actually, Philip says this. I'll, I'll repeat this for our listeners because it's an interesting comment. He says, I once drew a picture of a shard that a fictional character of, our, character of ours used. I was horrified to find people thinking it was a real one. I'm guessing online. Uh, so... Uh, the same kind of thing happened when uh, I forget who it was and I forget exactly what picture it was, but it was when uh, a, a teacher tried to show his students that he could uh, replicate with a computer what, uh, you know, maybe finding uh, Nephilim would look like, the giants, right? And uh, those pictures still show up, the, the fake pictures still show up quite often uh, on websites when they're trying to show, show uh, you know, the giants were real or whatnot. And they're totally fake. Uh, you know, photoshopped and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, when it comes to archaeology, uh, really, uh, people who are experts in the field need to be listened to. And this, we've talked about this extensively when we talked about uh, some of the claims by what was his name who said that uh, uh, Hebrew came from pic pictographic Egyptian. And uh, anyway, uh, you know, uh, the overwhelming voice of archaeologists will tell you one thing, and it's usually the people who are a little bit fringe who are, uh, I don't know. Uh, when there's no other archaeologist saying yes, this is this is something that needs to be looked at. I have a I have a big problem with it, especially when you have guys who are totally untrained. Uh, you know, a, a perfect example of this is the Copper Scroll Project, right? Uh, is that still a thing? It's still a thing. Dude is still out there touring, trying to get support for it. But I, I think that the archaeological community has has uh, spoken harshly enough against uh, you know, the, the Copper Scroll Project that it's not going to go anywhere. Um, it's just it's just not. Okay, anyway. Um, so at this point, right now is when I would put in one of our sponsors, right? Yeah. yeah Next yeah. show. Next show, we'll do it that way. Uh, for now, I'll just tell you, go ahead and uh, leave See, comments. We're, we're still on our we're, learning. We're still learning. Uh, we're in our season four. Yep. I think it's like it's not until season six that you actually have your stuff together. So 
I don't know if we'll ever have our stuff together, man. <laughs> this is all on the fly. 253-465-3205. Give us a call. Leave us a message. Thank you once again to Andrew for leaving that that comment. We appreciate it. We always like hearing. I save every every comment that comes in on that comment line. And actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna change that comment line uh, message machine too, so you'll be able to hear my voice differently. Okay, let's move on. Uh, last week, I met. I just in passing, I mentioned. Where are my show notes? Okay. Uh, last, thank you. Thank you, computer, for working. Uh, last week, I just in passing uh, made a comment about Exodus 21 22 and following. Uh, the actual passage is Exodus 21 22 through 25. Derek, who happens to be in the chat room right now, uh, wrote a comment on our last video and he says, I would seriously, and actually he yelled seriously, I would seriously <laughs> like to talk about the abortion passage in Exodus. I said mm. that this has to do with abortion. Uh, you know, this, my argument last week was that um, we see that the, that if a miscarriage happens, uh, the person who uh, incurs that to the pregnant woman is liable to death. Uh, for that life. And since our passage does not specify trimester, that this uh, shows us that uh, any any trimester, any month that a miscarriage happens, the uh, the person who would uh, who would cause that is liable unto death. He says, uh, you guys know Hebrew. I really need to get some insight on this because I think the English is confusing and I could show how. Shalom. Actually, there's no need to show how this passage uh, has been debated hotly by uh, scholars alike and by, um, uh, yeah, by, by good scholars. Uh, in fact, in your show notes, I have, I have uh, provided several uh, articles Wayne House did one, uh, and he did that right after Meredith Klein. Uh, Doctor Meredith Klein is is uh, one of my favorite authors to read currently. Uh, he's passed; he's with the Lord now. But uh, Doctor Klein wrote on this, um, and it's in your show notes. It's Klein on Exodus twenty one twenty two through twenty five. His is very in depth, and if you don't have uh, a, a basic handle on Hebrew, you might kind of get a little bit into the weeds there. And so um, that's why I put. House's article in as well. And I also have, um, I put in a reference to a book for those who uh, who have access to a good library, a theological library. Uh, the book that I'm going to read from is called Toward Old Testament Ethics. This is by Dr. Walter Kaiser, who I've interviewed and, and I consider a, an acquaintance. Uh, I really enjoy talking to Dr. Kaiser every year that he's at the ETS and SBL, which he wasn't last year. Um, Anyway, so uh, let me read the passage before we jump in. Uh, this is the passage I'm re reading from uh, the ESV, Exodus 21, 25, uh, 22 through 25. When men strive together, or I think some render it as wrestle together, and hit a pregnant woman so that her, chi uh, her children come out, and uh, the Hebrew here is actually her fruit comes out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined. As the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judge, judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So this is the uh, this is the passage. Do you want to jump in and say anything before I read from nope. Kaiser? Nope. Now, Kaiser's going to reference, actually, the. Um, this is going to be a, a little in-depth as well. 
Uh, Kaiser is going to reference the article by Klein. So he's going to rest on Klein for some of this. Um, so basically, the, the main question that cir circles around this passage is, who gets hurt? Right? Uh, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, so there's no harm to who? In other words, uh, the question is, does that mean that the harm that there's no harm? In other words, the child doesn't die. It's just a premature birth. Okay, so this is one of the questions. The one who hit her, her shall surely be fined as a woman's husband shall impose on him and he shall pay as the judges determine. Okay, so that's the first part, okay? Second part to this passage is, but if there is harm... Harm to who? And this is what the scholars are going to ask now. Who's the harm to? But if there is harm, that is to the child or to the mother or to both. Right. Then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, so on and so forth. So if there is harm, then you have to pay according to. So uh, this ultimately comes down to a, a lot of the this argument does come down to the abortion issue, right? People who uh, who think that abortion should be uh, legal and, and stand behind a, a woman's right to choose uh, say that the harm that is uh, talked about in the second half of this portion is actually t uh, in regards to the mother and uh, not in regards to the child. And so uh, the argument goes that the first part of this text, um, since it's only a fine, right? It's only a fine if the child gets uh, comes out early uh, and only if... It does. There's no harm, meaning it doesn't die. If it dies, then it's no big deal, according to the argument. And if there uh, is no harm, but the, there's a, a, a premature birth, then there needs to be a payment for it. This is the argument. Uh, of course, the other side says, no, that's not what the argument says. So let's go to uh, Dr. Walter Kaiser on this. Most of this evidence is now being, and I'm starting halfway into his article, so he's already kind of set up some of where the grammar is in this. He says, most of this evidence is now being conceded by those who previously had adopted the case for miscarriage. But the penalty clause is another source of misunderstanding. For some interpret case A as necessitating only a uh, pecuniary penalty, while case B calls for the Italian principle. This would seem then to suggest to some that the fetus of case A is less than human. Meredith Klein, however, has argued that B. Felilim does not denote a process of assess assessment based as in extra biblical legislation on the edge uh, on the age of the fetus. And uh, Rob, you pointed this out to me the other day. Uh, some of the non-biblical uh, surrounding law. Uh, surrounding nation law talks about the same kind of thing, right? Oh yeah. Well, this is uh, Meredith Klein's article brings this up, and he a site after getting into the Hebrew and showing from the text itself, he he just adds this comment that he says, um, as we observed at the outset, induced abortion was so abhorrent to the Israelite mind, it was not necessary to have specific prohibition dealing with it in Mosaic law. Even the Middle Assyrian laws attest to an abhorrent, abhorrence that was felt for this crime, even in the midst of heathendom, is what he puts. In other words, these are Gentiles lacking illumination of special revelation. revelation mm -hmm. Sorry. So in other words, he's saying even these Middle Assyrian laws that are not divine, not laws from the creator of heaven and earth, even in those laws, a woman guilty of abortion was condemned to be impaled on stakes. 
Whew. Even if she managed to lose her own life in producing the abortion, she was still to be impaled and hung in shame as an expression of the community's repudiation of such an abomination. And, and then his last comment is, it's hard to imagine, and he wrote this in the 70s, mind you, because Dr. Klein's with the Lord now. Uh, it's hard to imagine a more damning commentary on what is taking place in, quote, enlightened America today than that provided by this legal witness out of the conscience of ancient paganism. In other words... So in other words, the pagans are, are, were, were so against it that they would impale people, yeah. uh, impale women who, who attempted to do this. And so he just brings this up. This is not the bulk of his argument, but he's like, for those who are suggesting that the Torah, which is a revelation from... it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, in other words, right? Um, given from God... Um, if, if that it doesn't mention this, well, except in this case we do that, that Dr. Klein pulls out, um, that how much more, right? These are, these are, uh, what we would call, you know, he calls them heathen, which is funny because that, that's, you know, old English. We generally don't use that term now, but they're, they're, you know, Gentiles, a Gentile law, um, and so I think that is very, very telling, uh, that to assume the liberal position that, oh, you know, it's, you know, the fetus is, it's just the fetus. It's not really a person, um, da, 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 that that's a, a real new, uh, type of angle to come at the text. It's, it, it's not grounded in scripture itself. Uh, he, uh, uh, Philip is asking if you, if you could reference that that's in, uh, Meredith Klein's article, which is in the show notes, Meredith yeah, Klein's I'll, I'll, article. Uh, he wrote that for, uh, ETS for the jets. It was a jets article in 1976, uh, written by Klein. I believe it was, uh, issue number 13. Uh, however, uh, I do have a, uh, a link, uh, and you can Google it. Uh, there's, I yeah. just typed in the, the, the title. I'm sure you'll be able to find it. Okay. Um, so let me also, okay, let me uh, continue on here then with uh, Walter Kaiser. Um, rather, he, that is Meredith Klein, notes that in every context where what he takes to be an adjectival form, palili, with an eclectic mem, that is pelilim, is used, it deals with an offense of a most serious nature. In fact, the meaning could well be liability to death. The preposition bet or be is the bet of equivalence that, interestingly enough, is also used in the Italian formula in Deuteronomy 19.21 to replace the more usual tachat, a life as an equivalent of a life. Klein concludes, hence, belim in Exodus 21.22 may be regarded as an archaic legal formula expressing the same principle of ran uh, ransoming a forfeited life that is more fully expressed in Exodus 21.30. The suggested translation for verse 22, according to Klein, would be, he must pay for his forfeited life, or he must pay as one deserves of death or retribution. This is not long from here on out. St stay with me here. Feticide, we conclude, is indeed murder, and only when the fetus presents a danger to the life of the mother should abortion be considered at all. And he it does have a footnote on this, uh, and I won't read the footnote no, now, but he uh, he's, he's saying that this is debated, of course, by uh, scholars. The Lex Talionis refers to both cases. When harm, a son, 
is done to either the child or the mother. But in spite of Klein's moving discussion of bifedilim, the contrast in verses 23 through 20, uh, 22 through 23 would appear to be between the instances when no damage has come to either mother or child, verse 22, and where the damage has come to mother and child or both, verse 23. The contrast is... Uh, Velo yehye ason, that is, and no harm occurs in verse 22, and veim ason yehye, and if harm occurs, verse 23. The value that God sets on the fetus can be seen from the text we quoted earlier from Psalm 139.16. The clause is, your eyes saw my unformed body, i.e. my embryo, me. God, it was then who knit me together in my mother's womb and knew me in the paternal state. The value and the worth right. of the forming child is clearly established. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, full disclosure, I am I am anti-abortion 100% of the time. I think that uh, uh, the punishment of an innocent life for uh, uh, the mistake of a uh, of, of a couple or of uh, you know a, a heinous sin of rape or something like that. Uh, I don't think that the uh, punishing an innocent life is the right way to go. I don't think it's an unforgivable sin for a woman to have a an abortion. So please don't hear me say that. If you're out there listening to this and you have had an abortion, uh, my heart goes out to you. Um, but that doesn't mean that it was right. Um, it just means that, uh, you know, the Lord has mercy on all of us and we all sin and we all have uh, uh, things that we have to, things on our conscience that, that we have to bring before the Lord. I think abortion is one of those things. I am 100% pro-life. I am 100% anti-abortion. Uh, I have, I've marched with the, uh, with the rally, in the rallies. I have stood in front of Planned Parenthood uh, and, and protested. Uh, I, I stand firm in my uh, resolve that uh, abortion is clearly against God. God is the God of life, not the God of death. Um, and uh, therefore, I think that uh, especially killing an in innocent uh, child. I, and, you know, uh, to be honest with you, uh, just, you know, on a personal note, uh, my, uh, my stance uh, against abortion became extremely strong once I had children. Uh, the idea that uh, someone could take, uh, you know, a child before, uh, you know, in such a vulnerable state uh, was is now just absolutely abhorrent to me and has become very personal being able to see my own children. And so, uh, you know, I know that this is controversial and I know that there are believers out there who, who are pro-choice and uh, I, I, I will not waver on that. I, I, have, I have no apologies about my stance on abortion. Anything else you want to say about that passage, Rob? I just have that, well, the, from Luke 1. Where Elizabeth says, "For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy." Hmm. She's talking about John the Baptist yeah. leaping for joy. That means the baby. Not only, I mean, it's not just a fetus. This is like there's joy, right? There's, yeah, wow. Uh, I mean, and, and now with modern technology, we you know we're able to see uh, the unborn child. We know that uh, we know when uh, nerve endings come into play and and pain is felt. We know when heartbeats start. Uh, you know, and but the thing that we can't see with modern technology is at what point does God infuse a soul into that into that life? Um, and the the point for me as a believer and and someone who uh, 
who uh, attempts at all times to uh, to follow what God wants me to do, the idea of coming against one of the children of God, also as a as a person who believes in the doctrines of grace, uh, I fully believe that children who are unborn can be saved, right? God chooses who he will choose. That could be every unborn child. I don't know, right? Uh, God can choose whoever he wants. So that means that God could choose every single child that's unborn to be part of the elect. For someone to then uh, come against one of God's elect, especially in a defenseless state, is uh, chilling to me for that person. Um, yeah. Oh, Andrew has a good point. Life is in the blood. The nephesh is in the is in the uh, the the dam. That's what mm-hmm. it says in Leviticus. Yeah. So so in other words, sanctity of life is continuity of life, continuity of life, right? Mm. Um, and that's a that's a really good point. All right. Okay. Uh, enough on that. And uh, thank you, uh, Derek. Uh, actually, Derek, in the chat room, the person who sent in the uh, sent in the the question, I believe his wife is pregnant now. Congratulations, mm-hmm. uh, Derek. Fatherhood is a uh, life changing experience. There is no doubt about it. Um, okay. Uh, I have one last thing. I didn't think we were going to have time to get to it because I thought we were going to be a lot more long winded on the uh, on the Exodus passage. Um, now, I, I want to make sure that people know a couple things about this. First of all, I was sent this video, I think, four times this last week. By it's different not, people. By different people. I'm not going out and trying to find, uh, you know, trying to, to beat up on on um, Mr. Mark Biltz or, or, uh, or El Shaddai Ministries. I would also like to uh, state that I have actually uh, reached out to Mr. Biltz. I wrote him an email about a week ago. Um, saying, you know, we're both believers. We're both in the same city. Um, you know, I, I I hold you as a brother in the Lord. Um, you know, if you'd like to get together and talk, or if you'd like to talk on the phone or via email, and you know, talk about some of our dis- differences. Um, you know, here are some of the differences that I see within the way that we approach um, the scriptures, and I'd be more than happy to discuss these things with you. I have yet to hear back from Mister Bills. Um, so uh, this, though, now. You know, once again, I'm not trying to, to beat up on Mr. Biltz. If I if I didn't know some of uh, uh, Biltz's previous work, I, I would have honestly thought this was a satirical video. <clears throat> um, it's not. He's very serious in this. And I think this will probably take some explaining because he can't see his screen when he's uh, when he's when he's discussing this. Now, for those in the chat room and for those um, for those who are familiar with our show, um, you know, I. I would just, uh, you know, I don't have my ding sound, but I would just uh, encourage you to think of maybe some of the initial problems. And I know that the Hoff could go off at this point, but, you know, let's reserve ourselves a little and honestly talk about maybe some of the issues that uh, that this form of interpretation of Scripture might have. Now, uh, for those who don't know who uh, Mark Biltz is, uh, Mark is the leader of an organization called El Shaddai Ministries. It's here in Tacoma, Washington. He has a, quite a good following. He wrote a book on the four blood moons, uh, which he, uh, which then was picked up actually by Hagee. Um, I don't know what happened with that. I think that there was some. Uh, I think there were some legal issues with with that. Anyway, um, so uh, Mr. Biltz is very into astronomy and very into signs in the heavens, and is quite convinced that the recent solar eclipse, which was on August twenty first, uh, was a sign from God to America to repent. 
He also believes that these uh, now in uh, the 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 <laughs> hurricanes that came after the. Uh, and this is not only his view, right? I mean, there the YouTube is my YouTube suggestions are just filled with, uh, you know, because I've watched some of Mr. Bilt's. Uh, now my suggestions are just filled with, uh, you know, end time prophecy, uh, judgment on America, all these things, September twenty third, uh, all these kind of uh, things. So let's listen to what Mr. Bilt's has to say. He's he's going to talk about uh, the solar eclipse. The two are mainly the hurricane that hit Texas on the 25th. And then uh, he's going to talk about Luke 21, verse 25. Let's listen to what he has to say. In Luke 21, 25, where it talks about being signs in the sun, moon, and stars, it also says there will be the roaring of the sea and the waves in the same verse. So what are the odds, not only that you have those things, what are the odds there would be a Bible verse explaining the end of days? We would see signs in the sun in the same verse talking about the sea and the waves roaring. What do you think the odds are of that? Now, do you want to see something really astronomical? Yeah, I do. Luke 21, 25 is one of my favorite verses because Genesis 1, 14, God says there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. In Luke 21, 25, Jesus confirms there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. So what are the odds of having both the total solar eclipse and a hurricane the same week? Well, what are the odds that it would happen on the 21st and the 25th? Right now, you can't see it, but there's there's arrows pointing to Luke 21 and another one 25. And this is what, this is what he's very uh, excited about is that the date corresponds to the verse chapter and verse in this Luke passage. So that it would happen on the 21st and the 25th. The solar eclipse happens on the 21st. The hurricane happens on the 25th. Now, coincidental? I mean, this is, God is pointing us to this verse saying we are living in these times. So who else but God could do that? Okay. Um, let's okay, let's, let me, yeah, let's, break, let's break it down for just let's a second. Let's repeat back what I'm taking away from what I just heard. The eclipse and hurricane, what's the one that starts with H? Hugh, uh, Hank, I don't know. Okay, the one that hit Houston. Yes. Was on the 21st of August and the 25th of August. The 21st of August, 25th of August, yes. Yeah, the 21st and 25th of August, 2017. Yes. Luke 21, 25 yes. talks about signs in the heavens and raging seas. Yes. And so he says that this is only God. God in Luke 21, 25 is his new favorite verse because 21 in Luke means the 21st of August, 2017, and the 25th verse means... So the, the 21st chapter of Luke points to the 21st of August. The 25th verse of chapter 21 points to the 25th of August, 2017, because those two have to be read together because we can't – had Irma happened yet? No. Uh, okay, when, so he, when, he, he, when he did this, yes, it had. Yeah. Yes, it had. Oh, so, but he doesn't have a number for Irma. It just, it just follows. Um, so, Wow. 
and that only could God, he says, this is like the most, he says, this is astronomical. This is his new favorite verse and only God could do this. That's okay. what I'm hearing. Yes. So th can I tell you a couple of things that I, uh, well, let me tell you uh, just a couple of things that first come to mind when I, when I hear this kind of teaching. And honestly, once again, if, if I didn't know uh, Mr. Biltz, I would think that this was satire because it, in my, in my personal opinion, this is, I don't know. I don't know how else to say this. This is absolutely ridiculous. First of all, the signs in the heavens, uh, yes, there will be signs in the heavens, but will they be things that, um, that are natural? I don't understand how something that occurs naturally, like uh, and something that is predicted, not only from you know a couple days ahead or whatever, but predicted from hundreds of years prior. I don't understand how that's a sign. That's number one. Number two, when Luke wrote, he didn't write in his chapter and his verses. That's not part of the canon. That's not part of the by the actual Bible text. That is supplied for you by much, much, much later uh, translations in order for us to be able to find things. But it's not actually part of the Bible. And I wonder if that actually might have slipped his mind or if he thinks maybe God is just using the later uh, the later verse and chapter markings to, to, yeah, to wow. prove but a those point. Those are inspired, maybe. I just, see, I wouldn't say that the chapters and verse numbers are inspired. Um I think it's a helpful tool used by people who want to uh, study God's word, you know, and it's yes. a helpful tool. But I, I, but they're certainly not necessary um, because obviously in the first century or even our earliest manuscripts of Tanakh or of Greek apostolic writings have no chapter and verse. So if you know, right? Yeah, it's this is just really weird. Uh, it's really weird, I, but you know what, Caleb? It's not surprising. I mean, in, oh, in it's a not way, it sounds, it's like wow. I can see. So, what is it going to be next week? How does he top it? If this is the astronomical, he gets them to go. Woo! This was the same thing. What was the thing last time? Oh, the four hundred. That it's about four hundred, and that it's a sign of uh, the Paleo Hebrew mark of the sign, and the gematria is four hundred, and everybody's just thinking this is like this amazing revelation. I, I'm just like, I'm sad for these people. Well, th to be honest with you, you know, I think that one of the, uh, one of the strengths that Mr. Biltz has is keeping his audience, uh, uh, excited about what he's talking about. I, he's very good at that. I, and that, and I'm not, that's not a put down. I think that, he, that actually that's one of his strengths, uh, in being a teacher and, and even a leader is that he keeps people, interested in in things uh, the unfortunate as part a lit, not necessarily as in, in the for the good of the body of messiah but just as a general as a general speaking point as a as a just a sp professional speaker yes that he he to has me, an audience that yeah so to, to me i the unfortunate part is is that i feel like he's not he's not doing justice to honestly reality uh in in in, well, bibl it, it, in biblical it, it, texts it, it, it says it has to be America, right? Because we eclipses occur anywhere from two to five times every year. They're completely predictable, completely predictable years and years and years and years and years in advance. And we can go back in time and see when they happen all over the globe. We have, uh, of course, the hurricanes are not so predictable, but they are more predictable in the short run. Um, but it's so it's very America focused, 
right? Because he's he's in, he's saying that Luke twenty one twenty five has to do with America too, because it's it's the Gregorian calendar used today that he's saying is is part of the symbol. Yeah, it's not even the Hebrew part calendar. Of the meaning. Yeah, it's not. It's good, people who use a good different catch. calendar. Good catch. He's not. He's not using the Hebrew calendar. He's using the Gregorian calendar. He'll use it, but he'll use he'll use the Hebrew calendar when he can when it'll fit right when he can make it get some traction. So hang on, just a sec. The, the, it's the a chat, pick the, and choose, and then cover everything else up that doesn't that will distract from the point he wants to uh, get the people the effervescence. I don't know what you call it, so, the charisma or whatever that. The chat room asks this, and actually, surprisingly, Andrew, Andrew asks this. He says, uh, if there was an eclipse in Mexico, would that mean that judgment would be coming against Mexico? Actually, I have to give Biltz credit for being somewhat consistent in this. Biltz says that when uh, the last one happened over Turkey or something like that, he also tries to say that there was one when Jonah, right before Jonah went into Nineveh, there was an eclipse a couple days before that, um, which... I'm sorry, but according to to what we know about the calendar and how much things have changed and how uh, how off we could be by years and years, um, it's it's pretty ridiculous to think that you know exactly when when Jonah went into Nineveh. No, nonetheless, yes, Mr. Bills will say no matter where a full solar eclipse is, it is a warning to repent. I'm all for repentance, actually. But one thing that you said about um, Luke twenty one twenty five now being about America. Let's read this text. Let's read the text of, of uh, Luke 21. I'm going to start in verse 6 because he's talking about things that are happening, are going to happen very quickly after, like within 100 years of his, of his being there. He sa- it says, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another, that will not be thrown down. What's he talking about? He's talking about the temple, right? And he's talking about um, the destruction of the temple, which happened in 70. So right now he's he's back in time from where we are. He's prophesying of things that will come from their viewpoint, but certainly not in the 20th century. Uh, verse 7, and they asked him, teacher, when will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, see that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, uh, I'm sorry, I went too far. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Do you, now, I have to ask you, Rob, do you think that he's still, do you think this is a telescope or do you think that he's still talking about the destruction in 70? I, I don't know. I know that there's both together. I take it as, and this is where I think we would agree with Pastor Biltz. We would say we need to take God's word seriously. Yeah. We need to uh, be sober-minded. We need to be like the one who is like the servant who is awake and waiting when his master returns, etc. All these things are good and true. But the, the where we will split is that we will insist on it. We kind of diverge from that point. It seems with with the likes of 
of Pastor Biltz in that we're saying we need people to be equipped with the content, with real oil, right? So that like the five uh, wise virgins versus the five foolish, we want to equip people to have wisdom yes. in their waiting yes. rather than rather than the sensational five foolish that come and show up because they, they heard about it and they're excited about it, but they didn't prepare. And when it comes, when the rubber meets the road, they're going to go, oh, what we need, we, we really are lacking what we need. And, and, and that's that's going to be the difference maker. So, so I, we don't believe it's wise. I, I'll just say, I, uh, Dr. or, or uh, Pastor Biltz, with all my heart, I believe that you are not teaching people biblical wisdom. You're teaching them to think incorrectly. You're, 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 eval- you're giving high value and you're exalting things that are foolish and that people are getting excited and you're getting worked up emotionally and it's a category mistake. They're, they're, they're assigning things, importance, and spiritual significance that in Yeshua's kingdom are nothing. And that's the problem. So I want to keep reading because remember our, the verse that uh, Mr. Biltz is now using to say this is uh, in respect to not only the Gregorian calendar, okay, but um, in response to the things happening in America, listen to Luke 21. Now I'm going to start now in verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are, are out in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Also, Uh, Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in, in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding, so on and so forth. So several things. First of all, he's talking about to, about Jerusalem falling. Mr. Biltz has not explained to us how Jerusalem has currently fallen. Second of all, are we to understand then, according to Mr. Biltz, that the, the time of the Gentiles has been fulfilled? Yeah, I, well, I think he would say this is these are signs of end times. Yeah, I think he probably would if you know say something. But like Jerusalem that. hasn't been surrounded and trampled down yet. Yeah. It doesn't seem to me like all of the all of the Lego pieces have been. You know, my son does this to me. I, my my son loves Legos now, which is a blessing to me because I love to play with Legos as well. So now he's always asking me to build Legos for him, which is great. So we'll sit down and we'll play with Legos. And just yesterday. I was building some Legos uh, with him. He wanted a, uh, a surveillance van that he uh, that we had purchased for him. He wanted that yeah, right built, on. and so I'm building this surveillance van, right? And it's it's a, quite a long task. It took me about an hour and a half. It's huge. Wow! And he finds an antenna, a black antenna, and we've separated. He has so many Legos now. We've separated them into color. So he finds a black antenna, and he says, "Dad, you're going to need this." Now, I'm still at the base. This antenna goes on the top, on the roof. it's all done. 
when it's all done. It's the last piece you so put on. So he's seen the picture, though. Yeah. He's oh, he, seen, he's, and that antenna right means from, something. Yeah. yeah and, it has, and the and the point is, and I kept telling him, okay, buddy, yeah, I do need that. You're right. But we have to build the whole rest of it first before we can put that on. There's nowhere to put that right now. To me, it feels like what Biltz is doing is he's got the antenna and he's like, aha, see, I got the antenna right here. Now let's put it on the final, you know, we've built the, let's put it on. And the point is, is that no, the Bible speaks in this way of we have, these things have to fall into place first. You have to put these other Legos in first before you can put this antenna on. He's totally negated building the rest of the structure. He just has the antenna waiting to go. Well, so now we have not only, we have, we have a couple things. We have um, Hebrew word pictures he's used, gematria, so the numerical value. And now he uses what they call bibliomancy, basically, where you ascribe things like the numbers of chapters and verses to have, like that God's communicating now through the number 21 and the number 25 in the Gospel of Luke that corresponds to the American, you know, the calendar of North America in the year 2017. I mean, that's, this is, you know, no one, you know, <laughs> no one in ancient Israel ever did this kind of thing. No, so, you know, all this, uh, all, all Yeshua this. Yeshua never taught this way. Why, why would, a, why would a disciple of Yeshua take it upon themselves to innovate such methods of communicating to people in, in the name of, in, in God's name? I, I, it's, to me, it's scary. It's, uh, someone who doesn't have, but that's they never not, learned. That's they not never the, had. That, that's not the most scary thing to me. Here's the thing is that all this, I, I disagree with Mr. Biltz on this and I think I've shown why, but this all pales in comparison to the fact that two weeks ago he had Itzhak Shapira come in and, and speak. Shapira has yeah, never re, re, uh, re, uh, uh, he's never recanted, yeah. recanted on the idea that Yeshua and Metatron are one and the same. Yeah. So there, what we have is a cluster. We have a den of of false teachings, really, uh, a, a den of of wrongheadedness. But it sells. Evidently, it sells right now. Well, we certainly aren't getting a piece of that pie. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Wouldn't okay. Want it. Wouldn't want it. Wouldn't want it anyway. Okay. Well, hey, you can think that we're totally wrong. And if you do, we encourage you to get a hold of us, 253-465-3205. That's 253-465-3205. Send us emails, especially if you're not in the chat room. If you want to contribute something to this conversation, we'd love for you to do so. C-H-E-G-G that's C -H -E -G -G at TorahResource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G at TorahResource.com. Big thank you. Uh, man, it really looked like a good amount of conversation was going on in the chat room today. Uh, and, you know, if if I had it my way, I'm sure I'd sit here and just read every single comment. And I'm sorry that uh, we can't read every comment. But, uh, Philip, please send uh, send us over your, uh, your emails again. I don't think that I got them. And if I did, uh, maybe they got lost in the shuffle. I apologize for that. Uh, but we will certainly look at your, uh, your emails uh, when they come in. Okay. Uh, anything else you want to say, Rob? Nope. nope. Okay. Well, in that case, uh, one of the reasons that we uh, give you so many ways to get a hold of us is because we build this show on the things that you guys send us. And uh, uh, as you can see, this entire show that we just had was completely based on comments 
and uh, different uh, suggestions from our listeners. So please be a part of that. Send us emails, get a hold of us one way or the other, leave comments on our YouTube page, whatever you want to do, and let us know what you want us to talk about because I'm pretty sure we'll probably actually talk about it at some point. And uh, yeah, the one thing that we want to do on this show is to not tickle ears in any way, shape, or form, but to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah.